The Windsor Council of Home and School has provided a forum for the community to meet with trustee candidates for over 24 years now. We feel strongly that hosting an all candidates meeting is an ideal way to understand where our local candidates stand on issues that matter to our community. Let's take care of some housekeeping first. Washrooms are out these doors, uh, both the uh, special bathroom as well as the male and the female bathroom, so please use them as you see fit. We have some water and coffee available, and if you are peckish, there's some chocolate there as well. Throughout the evening, if you need any assistance at all, please see Lisa, or Robert. This is our committee and they would be glad to help you in any way. I will begin with the land acknowledgement statement. The Greater Essex County District School Board sits on the traditional territory of the Three Fires Confederacy of First Nations, which includes the Ojibwe, the Ottawa, and the Potawatomi, and Huron-Windat peoples. We are dedicated to honoring Indigenous history and culture we respect the long-standing relationships with First Nations people in this place, in the 100-mile Windsor-Essex Peninsula and the Straits of Detroit. These are the procedures and norms as laid out for the evening by the Windsor Council of Home and School. You can also find them on, the, the candidates can also find them on their tables. Uh, in the spirit of a rigorous discourse only respectful interactions and respectful questions will be acceptable. There will be no interruptions of anyone while speaking whilst it's their turn. To begin, trustees, you will be asked to make a two-minute opening remark. You will be signaled with a yellow card at the one minute and 45 second mark to give your final sentence by our lovely climber, Simone. The raised red card signals that you are done. The yellow card signals, the pink card signals that you are done. The yellow card signals that you have reached the 45 second part. We ask that you in the last 15 seconds include your remark. Now, originally we were gonna ask that all of our candidates wear a mask while speaking into the microphone and those are your uh, instructions in front of you. We have since learned from uh, Long Quaid, who we rented the uh, speaker, the uh, speaker, the microphones from, that we will be able to wipe them. So, if you choose to speak into the microphone, ask please. We have if you want to speak into the microphone, we will just. I believe Lisa will be our runner, and she will be wiping the microphones. That way, they are sanitized. <clears throat> for the questioners in the audience, when you are at the microphone, you will state your name, state to whom you are directing your question. That is, if it's a question to all candidates, if it's to candidates in a certain ward, or if it's to a specific candidate. Please state that. Ask only your first question when you are at the microphone and within a one-minute time frame. You will be told if your question is too wordy and it's extended past the one minute. Candidates will be given an opportunity to answer the first question. Now, you are permitted at the microphone to ask a follow-up or a supplemental question 
for the purpose of clarification only after you have asked this first question and the candidates have answered. All candidates will be again given the opportunity to ask this supplemental question. But as co-chairs this evening, moderating this uh, evening, we have the discretion to decide if that follow-up question is in fact a supplemental follow-up question or if it's a new question. If it's a new question, we will ask you to leave the microphone because we will only have first time question first. Once I have made an announcement and the first time questions have all, first time questioners have all questioned, it'll be second time questioners and so on and third time questioners. If your question is not supplemental, we will advise with the statement, excuse me speaker, that isn't a follow up question and your new question will be withdrawn at this time to a more appropriate time later. You may not ask a new question until all questioners in the audience have had that chance to come up to the microphone to ask their first question. Trustees will have two minutes to answer questions and again abiding by the timer signals. We have also provided the audience with a handout on the role of the trustee to better understand the parameters in which they work. So they have been distributed out and there may still be some extra copies over there. So if you're unsure about what exactly the role of the trustee is, that could help you out. Good luck to our candidates tonight. Thank you as well to all that have come out, your cooperation in following tonight's format and your attendance is greatly appreciated. Thank you. Okay, so we can begin begin with if you choose to otherwise we'll clean the microphone after but if you choose to have your mask on that would be fine good evening can you hear me John please say test test Yeah, good evening. Uh, as we heard at the uh, land acknowledgement, we meet in the traditional territory of the Three Fires Confederacy of First Nations, which includes the Ojibwa, the Ottawa, and the Potawatomi. I appreciate the diversity this uh, relationship uh, offered us. I have been involved with cultural festivities uh, that celebrate diversity since I came to Canada in 1993. Today, uh, when we read news about unmarked graves of indigenous children and hate crimes, I congratulate the school board for its diversity vision. Bias or hate should have no place in our society. Students should be treated with dignity. Education should focus on core competencies. I am Fazle Baki, a business professor and an associate dean at the Odith School of Business. I have chaired the undergraduate program committee's monthly meeting on our curricular matter for the last seven years. I sit on the University of Windsor's board of governors as a senate representative. Among many organizations, I serve uh, Windsor Police Services Community Consultative Committee as a co-chair. I'm also involved with many other boards and committees in the city. Today we are here for our students and education system. You all deserve the best. You deserve to be confident that when sending your beloved children to the school, they are in the best of care. As an associate dean of the other School of Business in the University of Windsor, I know what our students need to excel. I believe that Canada is the best country in the world and Windsor Essex is one of the best counties. 
I want to ensure that our students can compete in this massive global village and that they are given all the right tools required to succeed. On Monday, October 24, please don't forget to vote for me, Fazle Baki. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. My name is Maria Fernandez, and some of you may know me. Uh, I've had a lot of people today say, well, you look familiar to me. Um, you may have seen my billboard in the city. I have been a lawyer here in, in Windsor-Essex County for the last 20 years. The majority of my time is spent in the courtroom, and, and it's ironic that the, though I spend a lot of time in the courtroom, um, the majority of my cases are actually settled, and I'm quite proud of that. So I'd like to bring those negotiation skills here to the school board in dealing with the school board. I think that right now we're, we're at a crossroads and never has it been more important that our students receive a quality education. Um, I'm in a unique situation. I too am an immigrant. I came to Canada at the age of two. For us, in our household, going to school wasn't a right, it was a privilege. My parents came from a country that was very much a dictatorship and for them, they didn't have the same educational opportunities that we did. And they instilled in both my brother and I, who's also a local lawyer, the importance of getting a good education and the importance of doing everything you can to make a positive difference within your community. And the one thing that my parents always underscored with us was humanity. The ability to listen to each other, the ability to understand each other, the willingness to be open to new ideas, and what uh, was important to us, and, and I think important to Windsor as a community, was first and foremost, knowing that when our kids go to school, that they're in a place that is going to be safe. Our parents should not have to worry as to whether or not their child's gonna come home at the end of the evening, and I think we are, uh, eluding ourselves if we think that whatever is happening in the United States and other areas won't happen here. There's so much more I'd love to tell you about me, but I can tell you this. First and foremost, of all the things I've been able to do, which is to be a nurse, which is to actually be a teacher, I went through teacher's college, was to be a mother, and that is by far the most important role. So I'm here for the children. Thank you. Good evening. Four short years ago, I sat in this room for a similar all-candidates meeting. My promise back then, and still this evening, remains a promise of a strong commitment to both community and education. Every community deserves the best representation possible, and I believe strongly that my record speaks for itself. In fact, my commitment to education was recognized by the GECDSB when I was honored to to receive their Champions for Education Award in 2006. My passion for education has never wavered. As an elected trustee from 2006 until December 2018, I always took my responsibility as an elected trustee seriously, and I worked diligently on behalf of my communities. I am uniquely connected to Wards 1, 2, and 9, as I was born and raised in Ward 2, attending Bondi, Cahill, Marlboro Public School, and Forster Secondary. Our children were raised in Ward 1, attending Glenwood, Oakwood, Massey Secondary, and both have gone on to receive degrees at the University of Windsor and St. Clair College. My sincere interest in the issues that face our students 
and parents, staff and community members in our education system is the reason why I have chosen to run for re-election. It has been truly an honor to represent my community in this capacity, and I sincerely hope that with your continued confidence and support that I may once again serve the community as your trustee. Please take the time to check my website at kimmykinley.ca to learn more about my commitment to education and community. Thank you for being here. Good evening all. My name is Malcolm McCallie and I'm honored and excited to be able to put my name forward for the election of public school board trustee in Windsor Wards 1, 2, and 9. I'm a recently graduated student from Massey and now pursuing electrical engineering. I had the pleasure of serving as the student trustee for the City of Windsor Region last year. Throughout my term as a student trustee and an active member of the Board of Trustees, I've gained a deep concern for issues that arose in education. My election for trustee brings with it an opportunity to address priorities that have been missing in the past. I offer a new voice and a fresh perspective for students and staff alike, a perspective that understands what the reality in our classrooms is like. I think a voice for students, stemming from my voice on behalf of students, is exactly what education needs post-pandemic. I understand and acknowledge the intersectionalities that make up our board and how different aspects of our education system play into the bigger picture of supporting our learners and staff. I know how vital extracurriculars and sports are and how many of us value them, which is why I was firm in pushing for their reinstatement earlier last year. I also know how much many of us value academics. As a student trustee, I launched the board's first ever Student Achievement and Development Committee to redefine what it means to be successful in 2022 and help our students explore the different opportunities available to them. And moreover, mental health is a concern so important to many of us. As a current member of the Hotel Du Grace Healthcare Youth Advisory Council, I'm committed to addressing the struggles that many of us face. The elected board will have a long road ahead of it. We're in a new era that we continue to evolve and adapt to. Our board requires strong leadership that will work as a collective to govern the schools that we make up. With this impending change and shift ahead of us, we need a new, experienced voice and a new perspective to see that change through. I offer that new voice and the shift in perspective the board needs. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to introduce myself. I'm Trustee Linda Chin for Public School Board, Wars 1, 2, and 9. I'm running for re-election. I have two kids joining the Public School Board. One just graduated from high school and uh, went to the University of Toronto. Another is in grade four of our school board. I was a professor in business school, and I'm a PhD candidate in manufacturing management. For the past four years, I have been working very hard as a public school board trustee, full of courage, integrity, and perseverance. Although under a lot of pressure, I never give up fighting to protect the education system. For example, I successfully protected Vincent Massey Secondary School by strongly refusing a potential timetable change that would have poorly affected students' success.
I have also successfully changed a poor back-to-school plan that would have forced students to take one course every week. As well, I pushed to establish an anti-bully committee. My focus uh, on my uh, platform are strengthen Canadian values, including fairness, equity, uh, democracy, inclusion, and diversity. Reinforce safe learning environment, support mental health resources, improve math and science education, enhance special education, establish age-appropriate sex education, ensure fiscal responsibilities, respect parents' opinions. Kids are our future. We cannot afford to deteriorate the education system. Although difficult and pressuring, I would like to keep fighting for students and parents. Thus, I kindly ask for your support and be re-elected. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Thank you for coming tonight. Uh, my name is Sarah Sipkar, and I am the current trustee for Wards 3, 4, and 10 at the Greater Essex County District School Board. I'm also a PhD student in urban planning and a housing researcher working on a national grant um, through Family Services Windsor-Essex. No one could have prepared me as a parent or a trustee for the COVID-19 pandemic and all the pivots that it would require in a large educational system. I think we saw that local representation matters as our board debated many, many important issues within our community. Over the past term, I supported the use of our surplus funds to ensure a safe learning environment when we returned to the classroom. I was also the chair of the Operations and Finance Committee for two years, as well as the chair of the Policy Committee for four consecutive years, where we debated, dissected, and passed a number of important policies like gender expression and identity policy, mental health and resilience policy for staff, environmental education and stewardship policy. Those, that is some of the work that I am most proud of. I also initiated a communication strategy at the height of the pandemic during the summer of 2020 to have proactive and transparent communication with our families. I also initiated an active transportation task force that established community, sorry, established pilot schools like King Edward, Northwood, Talbot Trail, and MD Benny as sites to develop safe biking and walking routes to school. But there is still um, more work to be done. So as part of my platform for this election, I want to see the active transportation task successfully rolled out board-wide. While our schools are destinations, they are also embedded in the fabric of our neighborhoods, and I will keep working with our municipal counterparts and community par partners to continue to collaborate and find solutions for safe school zones. I also commit to supporting forward-thinking and inclusive policy, as well as relationships with the black, indigenous, and racialized minority groups in our community. We have a long way to go, but I believe that we can dismantle the oppressive institutional structures that keep our students from learning and our educators from feeling supported. And this is a critical time for our students, and I commit to continually advocating for uh, funding from the provincial government to address learning recovery as well as mental health and well-being supports. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. My name is Christy, and I'm running for wards 3, 4, and 10. I am a longtime supporter of public education. As a matter of fact, in my family, we have a saying that goes way back that says education has no end. 
And the reason why we say that is as we evolve as human beings and community across the province, as across the country, we know that our communities are getting far more diverse, right? And the issues around mental health, as well as racism and anti-black racism, supporting people with disabilities, and the list goes on. And so I'm asking for your vote. Myself, I am a proud mother of one. I've worked uh, alongside the board as part of the Greater Essex County Parent Involvement Committee for the last three years. Since my child, who is now 14, has been in school, I've also sat on the Parent Involvement Committee helping to provide support for our youth as well as our parents because our parents and our children should both have a voice in our public education system ongoing. As a profession, I'm a PR consultant as well as a program manager for a non-for-profit I co-founded called Family Fuse. We support black Canadian parents, guardians, and caregivers to navigate the education system because we know as a priority group they are in desperate need of support as well as our Indigenous families, those living with uh, you know, disabilities as well as our members of our community who are lacking equity, diversity, and inclusion. I do acknowledge that there is beautiful work being done at the school board. I'm very proud of the work that we've done as a GECPIC team as well as parent involvement committees both at John Campbell as well as I was previously with the Catholic Board through St. Anne French Immersion. And so when you go to the voting polls on October the 24th, I'm asking that you do provide uh, support for myself, and I look forward to working alongside with you as student and parent voices. Thank you. Good evening. As a former teacher, I know that visuals are important. I brought this along with me because I want you to remember my name. My name is Margaret Stanley. Stanley, like the cup. <laughs> I'm here because I'm running for the school board trustee in wards three, four, and 10. I began teaching with the Greater Essex County District School Board in the year 2000 and taught for many years until I recently retired. Because of my experience teaching, I understand the things that are needed to make a successful school board. I understand that there are challenges we must face. Recently, we've had the pandemic, but we've always had bullying. If you think back to your days in high school and grade school, there was always that one student that was marginalized. Hopefully, you will also remember that there was one teacher that went the distance to stop the bullying and help any student that was struggling. But today we are also dealing with a lack of funding. Funding that offers options to schools. Options that are not always available elsewhere. When I taught in China for several summers, I saw the board itself becomes the bully. But we also have strengths in our board. We have administrators that have broad knowledge. We have strong, resilient teachers. We have excellent support staff that is out there working hard to make sure that teachers have what they need. We have students that are committed to learning. As a board, we've addressed many things, such as racism and LGBT, LGBTQ issues. As a board, we will face more, that is certain. I hope to be the person on the board that brings compassion and understanding to this board so that everything is addressed. Thank you for taking the time to be here tonight. So, uh, Lisa, let's bring the microphone to Sushil, who just arrived. So we'll have you, we just bypassed you, and we'll, you have your two-minute 
You have your two minute, sir. And what we'll do is this young lady here is your timekeeper at one minute and 45 seconds. She will give you a warning with a yellow card and the pink card will signal that your two minutes are up. Thank you. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here, uh, Lisa and uh, Gina. Thank you very much for all the hard work you do. You are volunteers. I'm also a volunteer. I'm just coming from a meeting <coughs> there. Um, and I'm, um, I, I, I would say that I've not heard uh, many people, but I've heard two people there. So they're wonderful speaker there. I will tell you about myself a little bit later, but first I want to ask you a question uh, related to this meeting where you have invited candidates running for the school trustees. Where is the trust in this trusteeship? My question is, where is the trust in this trusteeship? Associations like homes and school associations expect that the trustees are trustworthy. But what is the litmus test for this trust? I suggest it is the relationship between the parents, family values, their children, and the school system. It is to be found in one word, and that is performance, duty of undivided loyalty to the children and their parents. I will call it passing down the culture and family traditions to the children. Is the school system doing this? And that's my question. Thank you. I have some answers, but I will not take my more than a minute and a half. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Claudette Bernier-Schiller. I'm running for trustee for wards five, six, seven, and eight. Home and school members, thank you for caring about the well-being of the children in Essex County. Thank you for the opportunity to speak here tonight. I have worked in education for 35 years, of which 20 years were for Greater Essex County District School Board. I taught long-term and day-to-day -day in almost every elementary school in Essex County. I am very passionate about students achieving their best potential. As a trustee, I will listen to parents' concerns and bring them to the board. I will be an advocate for all students and their well-being, physical, mental, and emotional. High school students need our support to establish and reach their goals. It is important at all levels to provide opportunities and activities to promote a sense of community and belonging. Students will then have the confidence and support to succeed. As school board trustee, I will advocate for your child I'm available to you on my Facebook page and privately by email. Together we will come up with a plan and I will take these issues to the board on your behalf. Thank you. Hello. Okay. Pleasant evening to each and everyone, students, parents, guardians, educators, school board, 
ladies and gentlemen. I recently graduated from a paralegal studies, and I would like to use my experience as a student that has not been addressed and my skills earned from this program. I'm a mother of two kids in a public school board, and I'm advocating an opportunity for special educational needs program, Arab Asian studies, and STEM education. It's a real life skill set in financial literacy, personal budgeting, a concept of <clears throat> credit and debit, building leadership skills, interpersonal skills, and learning experience, including music, sports, and clubs. I stand here, or I sit here, with the same vision that our kids are worth investment, and a mission to create confident learners and engaging diverse societies, given a chance to work with you, to work with students, to work with parents, parents, and to work with guardians. As a school trustee, I would like to fulfill my responsibility to advocate public education under the Educational Act. Other than said, I will make sure that the community has a convenient way to express their opinions on education decisions that affect our day-to-day -day lives and help resolving their issues. We can make a difference in this education system. In this, I'm Genevieve Coritana, candidate and representing wards 5, 6, 7, and 8, because your votes matter. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Um, first, uh, you can see my name, Scale. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself as a person. Uh, I was educated in the Windsor Public School System, and I have a master's degree from the University of Windsor. After a long career in public housing management at the level of CEO, I retired from full-time employment and became a sessional instructor for about 10 years at the University of Windsor and St. Clair College, teaching courses in political science and sociology. In 2007, I decided to direct my time and energy into creating the Do Good Divas, a nonprofit group supporting local health care programs uh, in Windsor and Essex County. Uh, through our annual signature fundraising event, A Girl's Night Out in Handbag Heaven. It's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun, and it's for a worthy cause. My husband, Percy, and I have two adult children who are proud graduates of Riverside Secondary School. Go Stingers, right? <laughs> and we have six awesome grandchildren who are all elementary students of the Greater Essex County District School Board. Now, as a trustee, I am currently a trustee representing wards 5, 6, 7, and 8. It's like half of the city. Uh, and I have served uh, a long time. And I've been around for all of the 24 years that we've had this event. Um, but I am running for re-election because I am passionate about public education. And I feel I make a positive impact on the work of the school board. I am proud of the fact that in 2001, I was elected by the trustees to serve as chairperson of the board and was then re-elected for eight consecutive years until I decided to step down as chair. This was a significant achievement given that until then, very few women had served as chair or trustee in the history of the former Windsor board or the GEC DSB. Thank you. Oh, sorry, okay. And my platform I'm wearing on my chest. 
ask me about it. Good evening, everyone, and I'm sorry for being late. I did notify, um, yes, that I would be late today due to a prior engagement. So my name is Anne-Marie Simpson. I'm very cognizant of the time. I am a mental health specialist in this field. I have an MSW from Wayne State, a BA from the University of Windsor, and other certifications in um, therapy and treatment and so forth, treatment modalities I've, uh, in terms of mental health and support. So I've worked with several families and individuals in the Windsor community, Windsor and the counties. I've worked with youths in, in high school here. I started my career in juvenile justice, supporting and advocating for individuals in trouble with the law and for their families in terms of access to services, access to supports, and being included. Um, I am the proud parent of a now high school student who recently was awarded his, the principal award here um, at his school, and he identifies as male. And so um, he also received two other awards in his school. One of, that's my experience in terms of supporting and advocating a youth specifically under my care in navigating the, the education system. What I In the last two years, actually, I was... Um, appointed as a chairperson for the, um, the parent council at my, my son's school for 2020 to 2021, re-elected 2021 to 2022. I'm very familiar with working with um, administration and parents and the youth, and I've made myself very visible in supporting and being available and visible in the schools. My platform to this is actually ensuring that mental health is included in part of the uh, supports that are provided to families and their youth. I see my time. I think that means that I have one more minute. In terms of trust, I walked in when the, maybe less, I walked in when the, the guy asked about trust. Thank you. Good evening, my name is Connie Buckler and I served as a trustee for Lakeshore and Tecumseh right up until 2018. I spent eight years as a representative for Lakeshore and Tecumseh. I know that community, I know the schools, I know the direction needed for the success and the growth and the learning in that community. Um, I've spent my entire adult life serving in education in many different capacities. I've been on school councils, I've been their chairs, I've been the provincial parent board rep representing all of Ontario, or all of Windsor-Essex, sorry, in Ontario. Uh, I don't use uh, education buzzwords and I don't use catchphrases because I walk the walk. I have done it for years and I plan to continue doing it. I remained in my community for the last four years serving in the local grocery store just so I could stay in touch with the parents and the workers in education and I could talk to them on a daily basis and know what was going on. I've kept up with everything and I look forward to having the honor of returning to the work I do well and the community I serve well that holds my heart. Hello, I'm Julia Burgess, and I've been an advocate of public education as a student, a parent, and a spouse most of my life. I married Jim Hume in 76, hi honey, when he was a full-time student at Western, getting his credentials to teach tech subjects. 
I washed every student shop coat for 32 years before he retired from teaching, and I know firsthand how this board excels at tech ed compared to others. Not IT, I'm talking hard shops, apprenticeships, work and college pathways. We decide as trustees to build shops into our schools, some outside of what admin wants. And that arm's length of governance is important. I've retired from a successful career in sales and management, working for leading corporations like P&G and major healthcare providers as a liaison for clinicians. I was first elected in 2000 when I was the school council chair at our son's elementary school, uh, keeping the best interests of kids at the center of all my decisions. I've been on most committees, chair and vice chair of both education and ops and finance, uh, served as chair of the board and vice chair of the board. These pandemic years have shown how my passion for kids, my institutional knowledge, as well as my analytical skills, ethics, science and engineering background is valuable in such trying and turbulent times for families. We have a tough gig ahead of us to regain the, mo the lost momentum in student achievement and particularly in their well-being and that of the staff and all families. I'm at the OPSPA, the Ontario Public School Board Association Director's Table this weekend where labor relations will be an urgent agenda item. It's 80% of our board's operating budget where the employer and the crown is the banker. All union contracts expired August 31st and we're negotiating fair collective agreements with our bargaining not taking place in the media. Thank you to the Home and School Association. You've been stalwart partners. I love the independence you have by not being mandated by the province. You should be ex officio on our get pick for that reason alone. Hi. Uh, I'm David Keller. I'm a lifetime resident of Harrow. I've been married with, to my wife, Suzanne for 38 years and I have two sons that went to school on the public boards. Uh, I worked in a family business, automotive business in Harrow till 2010 when I decided to pursue my teaching certificate at the University of Western and graduated. I currently run my own small business uh, repairing classic cars. I worked at the, as an occasional teacher for the school board for 10 years and then COVID hit and with no future, with no permanent position, I uh, decided to retire. I decided to run for trustee because I missed being involved with the school system. As an educator, I had firsthand experience within the schools and I was able to see the challenges that face teachers and students alike. I would be like to be part of this, so this finding these solutions and challenges and usually prefer to stay behind the scenes, then, but this time I decided to step out and help out. I decided to, oh, I've been self, being a self-employed person, I have time and flexibility in my schedule to vote, devote to the role of trustee and I'm able to make my own hours to be available as needed. As our communities of Harrow and Essex transition to new buildings and consolidate three schools, I think there's a need for new blood as a part of these decisions. With growing communities, new subdivisions, and our increasing populations, our schools will be over capacity before they're even built. As a trustee in the county, I would like to address these issues on behalf of our communities. Thank you.
Good evening. I'm Ron LeClaire. I'm the trustee for Amherstburg and LaSalle. I have been since 2014. During my service on the board, I've served as both the chair and the vice chair. But I want to tell you about the path I took to get here. I spent 30 years as a Windsor police officer. And at one point, I was a youth crime investigator. And what I learned in discussing with parents and young people that were in trouble with the law was the education system was not serving their needs. I decided to become a champion of the marginalized. And my work on the board has reflected that from day one. General Amherst and Western. Western was slated to be closed and the students sent back to their home schools. I came up with the creative solution of bringing Western and General Amherst together, creating a significantly large skilled trades platform for school, the students at that school. I worked with Trustee Burgess on the Indigenous Education um, Protocol, which was completely unique to the entire province. It was the first protocol for Indigenous students in all of Ontario. I have worked um, with the Indigenous Education Advisory Council, and my work is to ensure that students don't fall through the cracks. Um, I was also successful in identifying a safety concern that our board had, and that was the lack of defibrillators in our boards. Um, I advocated for them, and I was successful in uh, obtaining a um, donation for every school in uh, Greater Essex County District School Board. And we know that, that those defibrillators have saved at least one life. Um, I also currently work for the province of Ontario, providing governance support to uh, school or to police services boards across the province. Thank you. Thank you, Gina and Lisa. Thank you, Gina and Lisa, and you, the audience, for this opportunity to speak about my candidacy representing the communities of Amherstburg and LaSalle. As a trustee, I will work collaboratively with the other members of the board, the leadership, and members of the community that I represent. Together, we must create the conditions within our school districts that enable every student, regardless of race, ethnicity, gender, socioeconomic status, cultural differences, and individual exceptionalities to succeed in a culture of high expectation for learning. Students, parents, teachers, staff, and members of the school community must feel safe, welcome, and respected in schools with the common goal of inspiring all students to reach their full potential. As I learn the needs of the LaSalle and Amherstburg communities and share concerns and actions publicly, I will bring the voices of the community into implementing a board vision that is inclusive of all stakeholders. I commit to proactively seeking out community voices that enrich the perspectives on needs and strategies to support student achievement and well-being. In accordance with the Education Act and as a servant leader for the community, I will ensure the delivery of effective and appropriate education programs to all students, develop and maintain policies that encourage students to pursue their education and career goals, monitor and evaluate policies developed and implemented by the board, and ensure that 
the appropriate services and programs are provided to children, families, and the broader community, and also ensure meaningful involvement of students, staff, parents, and the broader community in, in improving public confidence in, in the education system. As an educational leader and researcher for over 40 years, first as a teacher and counselor, and then as a teacher educator at the Faculty of Education, and finally as Associate Dean of Education, I'm here for the students. Hello, my name's Nancy Armstrong, and I'm from the county of Leamington. I don't know if anybody here is from Leamington, but the reason I'm here is I thought perhaps it's time that a teacher becomes a trustee, but I know I'm not the only one here because there's a number of educators here as candidates as well, so go us, I guess. My life experiences have provided knowledge of the education system from the viewpoints of a mom, an educator, a student advisory council member, and a tutor. Why am I a strong candidate in Leamington? Well, I worked for the board for 25 years as an elementary school teacher, retiring in 2019. For the past 28 years and counting, I have worked as an instructor at the Leamington Kumon Math and Reading Center where I have helped over 1,200 students uh, in enrichment or remedial programs in an after-school manner. As a wildlife biologist for, by education, I worked with Let's Talk Science promoting uh, science, technology, engineering, and math subjects for five years um, in our tri-county area. Perhaps some of you were around uh, way back then when I built an inflatable 86-foot-long blue whale model and brought it to 40 schools to teach kids the importance of the world's largest mammal. I uh, am from a farm, and my experience living on a farm has shown me the absolute importance of teaching our kids about sustainable food development. Um, as co-founder of Music Moves Kids, which is a Leamington uh, children's choir and theater camp, I truly value arts for giving kids a well-rounded education. Before becoming a teacher, I worked for the Heinz Company in research and development. And my experience as an employee and a business owner I realized the skills we need to give our kids. I always thought uh, getting kids ready for the workforce was a community and adult uh, thing that we needed to do. Wanting to be involved in my own children's education, I served terms as president of SAC committees in elementary and secondary level, and I guess I'm done. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. And it's an honor to meet everyone here who's uh, actually willing to put their name out for this uh, job, volunteer work, whatever. It's, uh, uh, my name is Chris Landman, and I'm running for the Public School Board Trustee in Tecumseh and Lakeshore. I proudly live in, in uh, Tecumseh with my wife, Amin. Uh, I've worked for 16 years in a local distribution company. I'm the director of sales and manage our uh, business development and sales teams in, uh, in Ontario. So the question I get asked most is why school board trustee? Why this role, why now? And after knocking on a lot of doors, I've realized a lot of people don't even know what this role is. And if they don't know what a trustee does, then they don't know that they have someone in their uh, community to voice their concerns to. So I wanna help build on this and further change the per perception in Tecumseh and Lakeshore so parents know that they have someone to voice their ideas and concerns to. Having a trustee who's accessible and involved in the community as I plan to be will help. People need to know where to find you and they need to feel safe sharing their concerns with you because there's not much more important to a parent than their child's education. 
I find that people simply want to know how the decisions are being made and why. They want transparency. They want someone who can work with others at various levels of government to get things done. I've been reaching out to people in municipal and provincial levels of government to build those relationships so I will be ready to get things done. I've been making relationships in Tecumseh and Lakeshore to make sure those lines of communication are open right away following the election. The response I've gotten from parents knocking door to door has been great. They've been genuinely happy to see someone, young, someone new um, with a young voice representing the younger generation of voters and parents and willing to get involved in the system. I've also been called crazy for wanting to do this. But I've heard time and time again people want to have new perspectives at the table. Uh, they've been, um, they're asking why are there not younger people that want to get involved and that's because we don't allow them in. So I will be honored if I can represent the, the uh, area of Lakeshore and Tecumseh on October 24th and allow a new voice at the table. Thank you. Hi. Hi. I'm Kathy Koch. I uh, am the present one of the present uh, trustees for wards five, six, seven, and eight. So first of all, I'd like to congratulate all the candidates because it takes a lot to put your name forward. So congratulations to everybody. <clears throat> I'd also like to thank Windsor District Labor, Co Labor Council for their endorsement. Um, for the past four years, I've been vice chair for three years. I've sat on a variety of committees. GECPIC, SEAC for four years, Student Discipline and Appeals Committee for four years, <clears throat> and also on the Anti-Bullying Committee and many others. My goal as a trustee is to advocate for those who can't advocate for themselves. We have kids that have huge gaps and nobody's listening. When COVID came around, I was the one that put a motion forward to find out what is our plan. These kids are falling behind. My question still is, what is our plan? Um, we have to advocate for these kids. We have to advocate for all kids. I understand that. But my thing is, as a trustee, I'm not afraid to get my hand slapped. So if I say something that I'm not supposed to or ask a question I'm not supposed to, I don't care. I'm here for the, my constituents, for wards 5, 6, 7, and 8, for all kids, all parents. So if I get my hand slapped, that's okay. The other thing is, is that we also need to advocate for our EAs, all our staff. We need to help advocate and get a living wage. We have such a huge gap with our staff that we are not able to fully have a full staff. And we need to help our staff, not with a living wage, but also to get staff, to help staff with the new environment that they're in. Kids' behavior has changed. I know this, I'm a social worker. I work at Regional Children's Center. I see this, thank you. Um, and I see this and I deal with this on a daily basis. I also have a private practice that I see and I deal with parents and kids on a daily basis. So let's all get together and advocate strong for everyone. Thank you. Thank you to everyone. It was wonderful to listen to everyone uh, say what they needed to say. I feel the audience has a really good opportunity to uh, get to know people and get to know who's in their wards. I will just mention that Olmstead uh, was not able to make it tonight because she has um, a severe medical situation at home and could not uh, come out because, because of orders that she adhered to a strict COVID, COVID protocol. Uh, so she had to decline this evening, but she did send her regrets. And so from here, we are going to invite our first questioner. 
to come up to the microphone. Please, again, I will let you know you are going to state your name. You are going to state uh, who you would like your question to be uh, addressed to. If it's to uh, all candidates, if it's to a candidate within a certain ward, if it's to a specific candidate, and our timekeeper will then uh, monitor for a two-minute response. Thank you. First off, uh, yes. Hello. Yes. First off, kudos to you people for taking your time and. Uh, First off, you will identify your name, please. Oh, sorry. For that. My mom always said I didn't listen. Yeah. Nelson Robinson. For parents, for parents' rights. Um, thank you again very much for letting us ask this question. A policy passed by the board on June 22, 2021, states that if a child uses a different name or pronouns at school, the school cannot notify the parents of that fact. Without the child's permission, regardless of how young the child is, do you support keeping such important issues secret from parents? Who are you addressing that to? Thank you. Hi there. Um, thank you for your question, first of all. Um, I was part of the policy committee that passed that policy, and I do support that policy as it stands. Um, first of all, I believe that um, students have the right to choose their own gender identity, and they have the right to do so even if their parents disagree. I know of a situation in our school where that has been the case, and um, that student did not want to disclose that they had a different gender identity than what their parents referred to them as. I believe that they have the right to keep that private and that they're able to express that at school in the way that they so choose. Um, and uh, so to answer your question, yes, I do support that policy. Uh, Christy Nelson, thank you for the question as well. Um, when I support parents through the work that I do, there's a lot of times where children don't feel safe and whether that be in their homes or within the school environment, sometimes it adds a lot more stress to not allow them to identify the ways in which they want to and to share that with the parent. And so similar to Sarah, I, I do agree that it is the decision of the child as to how they identify without notifying the parents because often if you do disclose this information, you're causing more stress and it becomes more of a distraction in the classroom and within the family home. And so if we're in the business of educating and empowering, and we are focused on the rights, the human rights of individuals, including our children, then I do believe that it is, you know, as it is, and I support that. Yeah. I must agree. I believe that students have feelings. They're just coming out, and they need to be able to express it. And they will speak to a teacher to try and resolve things. And I think discussion is where it's all about. Like, if a student came to me and said that this is the way he felt, I would try my best to get him to speak to the parent. But if he was unable to do that, I would let it go and see where it went. Because we have several years with them, and we can address that issue at a later date. Thank you Thank you. Thank uh, you. In the spirit... Okay, I, for a minute, because there was a sound, and I will repeat what was stated at the beginning of the evening. In the spirit of a rigorous discourse, only respectful interactions 
and respectful questions will be acceptable. There will be no interruptions of anyone while speaking while... Sir, I think this is a very important question. I recognize passing on the family traditions. It can be hard when family relationships and social roles seem to change in the time it takes for today's fifth grader to graduate from junior high. In my opinion, parents, teachers, and caregivers are the role models for children. They have significant influence. So I think the important question that you have is, is that how can the parents really be responsible, not just only the student itself or the child itself. Traditions help our self-esteem and create our identity. Traditions are meant to fortify the family. What are the, those family values that you are talking about that this child would have? Let me give you an example. A parent sues school over transgender brainwashing. This is August 21st report. Irrespective of the fact whether I agree or disagree with this, let me read the first paragraph. California parent Jessica Conan is suing our school district for secretly indoctrinating her grade six daughter in the cult of transgenderism, convincing her to change her gender identity, all the while urging her not to discuss this situation with her mother trustee because she cannot be trusted. The behavior of those woke educators matters not only because parents, as opposed to the government, are supposed to be in charge for raising their children, but also because certain education ideology threaten the very underpinning of both our society and the Western civilization as a whole. Mind you, teachers are not doing this on their own. They are forced to do it by the provincial curricula broad policies, and vocal groups. In the end, sir, I suggest that you ask yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm not against the LGBTQ. My father was a transgender at the uh, last couple of years of his life. And uh, I have LGBTQ people in our family. So that's not my, uh, my question and my concern for our group, our, our, ours is we have a right to our children too, and the CAS was made to intervene for you educators to reach out to them. Thank you. First time speaker. Thank, thank you, Gina. Mario Spagnolo, local president of the Elementary Teachers Federation. I have uh, a comment, and then it'll be followed by a question. Uh, two emails that I've received, just I picked two on the way here, uh, from teachers in the classroom. One teacher is a 4-5 split, a class of 28 students, 11 are on IEP, 7 in RISE program, 4 on behavior and safety plan, 1 ESL, many social, emotional needs, and socioeconomic needs. Second teacher is a special education teacher. She wanted to touch base with me about the fact that there are special education rooms that are going without support staff being filled. We've been managing and having come when, sorry, we have been managing and having others come when they can offer breaks and such. The team and support at the school have been great, but it's crazy that in the games room, 
We have no EA for this entire week. I am so grateful to have a solid staff, but this is how people get drained and why other support staff go off as they are carrying the weight of many. This is still September. Additionally, this leads to me doing an extra duty each morning to ensure student safety as one staff available is in and out, getting other students off the bus and no one else can be in the room with the students. These are the realities of our classrooms today. My last hope is to get anyone in trouble, but the greatest hope is that the system can begin making decisions that do put our students first, because I heard that a lot today. Students are not first when teachers are rushing last minute to be in 10 places to ensure safety because support staff is missing. Students are not first when they are waiting at the door begging to be toileted while we wait for another support staff to arrive. They are not first when we have to miss gym music because we cannot manage behaviors with only two people. I want the best for these kids and it's the ones who need most that are impacted greatly by our current situation of our, student, our support staff not being replaced. So my question is, and I know the incumbents very well, so don't take this as disrespectful, but it's to those that are, are new on the scene. What exactly is your concrete steps? I don't want you know, language that students come first. We all get that, we all believe that. I want concrete steps on how you're going to address the current situation of staff shortages in our public schools that are affecting kids every single day. Thank you. All wards? Yes, please. Thank you. Um, would someone like to begin? Any of the new candidates, please? Uh, I'll just make a comment to that. I don't pretend to know all the answers or have all the answers. I'm new to this. I need to learn and first and foremost listen to people like yourselves and other parents and whatever to come up with a, a plan. Um, and God bless all those teachers and everybody who's doing all this extra work and, and going above and beyond with their uh, uh, call of duty, as I say. So that is amazing, um, but it's not sustainable. I agree. Um, and it sounds a lot like it's an issue of uh, resource allocation as well. Um, so I would need to get a better understanding of all those resources and, and how they could maybe be better allocated. I think that's maybe where my business perspective comes in to help, uh, help uh, identify that and look at those. Um, but I didn't want to give you a fake answer. As you suggested, you might hear from a lot of people. I just have to say I'd have to learn a lot more before I could come up with complete concrete steps. So. Thank you. Anyone? Sure. Do we have the microphone here? Send. I also do not have the experience to be able to answer your question, Mario. But I do know in as uh, when I was teaching, and I'm still in contact with teachers from my school, that the EAs are, um, that they're disappearing. We don't pay them a good wage, as uh, the candidate to my right said so. And uh, it, when they don't show up to school, or we don't have enough of them, then everything starts to fall apart for the teachers and the students. So a, a beginning place would be but I don't know anything about the negotiations of EAs, but we need to get more people in that position and we need to pay them appropriately because honestly, they're often the first ones who get hurt uh, in the school situation when a, a child is um, uh, not behaving properly. Like I, I've seen some pretty tragic stuff there. So we need to start, uh, is that a reasonable situation? But again, Mario, I don't know, um, anything about their negotiation process. I only know about the teachers. 
Thank you. Uh, yes, uh, thank you. I'm, uh, I'm one of the new um, candidates running. Uh, I congratulate you for the question. Actually, yeah, I heard it uh, from many doors uh, while knocking uh, this uh, problem with uh, resources and uh, short stuff and uh, split class and all these things. Uh, there is a trend uh, that money is, uh, funding is taken out from education and healthcare. And uh, uh, so as trustees, you know, uh, I think uh, we can only advocate uh, for more resources. Thank you. Hi. So, okay, thank you. So, Anne Marie running for wards five, six, seven, and eight. Um, earlier, I talked about mental health, and I just want to reiterate and answer your question that when I talk about mental health, it's not just for the students and families, but also for the teachers. I understand you asked for a concrete plan. In terms of mental health, 28 uh, students in a classroom is way too much, even if 11 of them did not have IEPs. And even in the Gaines classroom, I was fortunate enough to work with individuals who work within the school system through COVID and hearing their concerns as to the students who showed up to school who were mandated to be there even while the school was closed and some of the, ex um, the experiences they had, which left them with trauma. And so the concrete plan, I'm hearing funding, but more so, yes, we need more individuals in the classroom to support the teachers, and we need EAPs. We need so much more. But when we're looking at a classroom that is overburdened, t um, students cannot learn in a classroom that is disruptive and, as you indicated, missing certain um, um, subjects and so forth that would create a mentally healthy um, environment for the students. My plan is about advocating for everyone's mental health, smaller classroom sizes. As a social worker with frontline experience, 20 clients, managing 20 clients on my caseload was a lot because you're managing not just the client, but you're managing their environment that they reside in and that they engage with. And so 28 kids is too much. I don't know what the financial budget is, but I plan to learn. I'm a quick learner. I manage an outpatient mental health counseling and addiction program. I know what supports look like in the community. I know what budgeting and I know what funding and working with community partners look like. And this is what, there's some necessary um, work that needs to be done in order to bring supports to the individual teachers, to the uh, families and to the, um, the parents. Thank you. Um, we're going to come down here to Maria. I think the first place that I would start, and I again uh, am one of the new people here that are asking for your consideration as a school board trustee, is to look at the numbers. I would be very interested in knowing, is this one school? Is this two school? How many numbers? How often is it happening? Is there a pattern? Is there a pattern? So the first thing would be to assess exactly what the need is. The second thing would be to devise a committee in order to address it, because I would like to hear from the parents, from the teachers, and from the administrators as to how to best deal with this. I don't think this is just a, a one person or one group issue. And then the second thing I, I believe, I don't believe for a minute that there isn't enough money in the coffers. We've been hearing that Canada has been bare for years, and yet we keep sending money offshore time and time again. So I don't believe for a minute that the resources aren't there. What I think is that we're not fighting hard enough to get those resources to where they need to go. Thank you. Um, we're going to go up to...
as a teacher educator and an educator for over 40 years um, and in negotiations hearing about class size for more than 40 years and still nothing being done about the class size is really disappointing um, in research we find that classes greater than 15 students is giving a disadvantage to all the children I believe in equity and whether it is the distribution of um, students in a classroom um, or it's a distribution of resources this needs to be examined looking at how many um, students with IEPs are in each class how many uh, teachers how many EAs are available and really really um, examining the issues of equity so that the teachers can do their job and the children can learn thank you was there another speaker? Uh, yes, let's, let's see if, um, Margaret? Let me jump on that. Thank you. And then, Thank you. I think it's been examined. I think we understand there is money missing in our system. We need to realize that we are under attack, that the education system needs to be brought up to date, that we cannot keep taking money out of it, that these people are essential and we need more help in the classrooms and in healthcare. Thank you. Okay. We'll go to Claudette. I completely agree with what everyone has said. I have taught in the schools of like the the members that are here, I've taught in those schools. And I feel so sorry for the teachers and the students. Like, how can the students learn and the teachers need help? That's why I'm here. I'm here for the students and the teachers. That's all. Thank you. Um, is there anyone before? Okay, sir, yes. Yeah, I uh, worked at the is certified and I when I first started teaching I was called in as an emergency EA a lot and I've seen what those teachers go through and it does have to be fixed you, they don't get paid near enough especially the ones on the substitute list until they get their month in or 26 days they don't get the same weight as the other people it has to be fixed and there's always a shortage one day I was called in as a I was a teacher for the class and there wasn't one EA and I was a substitute teacher. It really is hard for them. It's something does have to be done and I'm hoping I can be part of that solution. Before we open it up, our uh, first time speaker, can we take this to, do you mind if we take this to our curtain, current trustees? Okay, so uh, before we begin though, was there anyone else who wanted to speak to, okay, Malak? Yes, and I've got uh, Kathy as next time speaker. No, I had Kathy. Yes, Kathy Cook is also a trustee, and so I have. Oh, Connie, you're not. Oh, you're a first time. Yes. Right, right. Okay, for some reason, Connie, I had you on the list that you were coming back. Okay, so we're gonna go to uh, Malak, and then we're gonna come down to Connie, 
And then Kim, if you would like to be third on the list. Okay. Thank you for the question. Um, just before I get into answering it, um, we're hearing a lot about 28 kids to one teachers a lot, but realistically it's been happening right under our noses for years. I went to Massey, it's no secret, we had classes where the student teacher ratio was one to 34, the provincial cap. It's, you guys talk about a lack of distribution of resources. If you've been in our education system, you know the reorganizational period at the beginning of the school year is a stressful one. It's one where we try our best to re redistribute those resources to our schools. And we talk about funding, and it's not necessarily about a lack of funding within our board. For those of you who don't know, our board's budget is well over $500 million on an annual basis. And that does sound like a lot of money, but with so many different things going on, it's, it's hard for us to be able to get the support that we need, and it's unfortunate. But one thing that we're not talking about enough is the fact that the Ministry of Education ended off with a surplus of $2 billion this year. Now, <laughs> trustees sit in a pretty unique position on the board where they're able to lobby the government to tell them there's problems in our boards. This staffing shortage is not unique to our board. It is a problem all across Ontario. It's been a problem for years. We need more EAs. We need more ECEs. We need more educational support workers in our schools with our students. It drives up violence with our students. There have been a number of cases of um, school-based violence incidents, and it's not necessarily our teachers' fault, it's not our students' fault, it's the government's fault for failing to be able to provide those resources for our school boards and ensuring that we are putting our students first. So when we ask for a concrete solution, my solution is telling the government to put its money where its, money where its mouth is and provide the support that our board needs. And like one of the, my opponents said, it's also important to get a better picture of what the problem really is. So that starts with consulting and surveying our staff and our educators across the system to learn where we stand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Connie. Thank you for your patience. What a well-spoken young man who knows quite a bit about, you learned quite a bit in your time on the board. Uh, I spent eight years advocating at SEAC and advocating for our teachers. And I've got to tell you, we've got to hold their feet to the fire. When they put a cap on a class size, we need to stick with it. We need to stop overdoing this to our staff. We need to stop overdoing this to our kids because we can't put kids first if we're not taking care of the people taking care of them. It's like always take care of yourself first so you're there to take care of others. So we can't do it if we're not doing it the right way. We need to do it the right way. We need to get to the province and get the funding that we need. We need to take care of our staff, show them that we honor them, that we respect them, and that we value their work. And we need to take care of the kids that these parents are entrusting to us. It's our job. And I think that's where we need to start, is to start by going to the province and getting the help that we need and the promises that were made. Thank you. Kim? Thank you, Mario, for that extremely complex question. <laughs> um, there's a lot of facets to that question, and I understand the complexities going on in the classrooms. I have friends that are teachers that are still in the classroom, and I'm hearing about some of that stuff already that they're experiencing. I do know I don't have the perfect answers, for a plan that's magically going to make that problem go away. But what I would do, and I've always felt, is I've always been open to listening and hearing the suggestions of those that are in the workplace that have ideas, 
based on their experiences as to what will work and then figuring out what you can do because I know our the spec-ed budget I don't think it's miraculously changed in the last four years it is always over spent from the envelope that the ministry sends and they're always using other monies to supplement that spec-ed budget and and it's the spec-ed budget that the EAs and the EC, a lot of those spec-ed workers that are working with our most, our students that need the most, they're the ones working with them and they're not getting everything that they need. They have a lot of things that they're having to deal with and I'd imagine morale is just another issue that lets layered on top of a very complex issue. So definitely as a trustee, I've always been open to hearing others' suggestions for the plan and working together for that. And I think you could agree with that, Mario. Thank you. Christy? Thank you. I certainly respect all of the comments up here. Mario, the question. I originally said when I introduced myself that the stakeholders need to have a voice. I can't remember in any of the time that I've served on the Greater Essex Parent Involvement Committee and or as a Parent Involvement Committee chair or member having a trustee communicate with our group. And I think this is part of the solution. I don't have a step-by-step -step way of resolving issues, but I do believe in addition to reviewing the budget, as well as seeing where additional funding would come from the government, but also maintaining a pulse with the stakeholders, that being the parents and the children and the teachers. And so I believe that is part of the solution. Thank you. Yes? I think the question about money has been there for the last 50 years or longer, that we have to put more money into more money into it. I wrote an article in the Canadian Education on the fiscal cost of education reforms in the 90s. And that is uh, Education Canada is a peer-reviewed journal. In that, I compared the Japanese education and the cost that is incurred there and in Canada and my thesis is on Japanese education. And there we found out that anything that we do in improving the education by putting and throwing more money and more money into it, it has not helped. Money is needed. So by the last so many years, uh, you can find out that the report by the Program for International Students Assessment, putting more money in for the last quarter of a century. Canada dropped seven points in reading. Canada dropped 17 points in science. Canada dropped 15 points in math. And this is the 2021 report. So our emphasis is on money, but our emphasis should really direct to the curriculum. Instead of emphasizing the real issues, real uh, subjects, we spend so much time, not so much time, but enough of time in other areas social justice, this thing and that thing, and you know where those things lead to. Students are not helped in the areas where they need, 
and money will only help only this much. And look at the comparative education reports, whether it's China, and of course, uh, we have at the university uh, uh, certain things that uh, will really state that the fiscal costs of any education reforms are just too high. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. Um, Genevieve? Can we pass? Thank you. Yeah, hi. I, I agree with him, okay, um, and he mentioned that the curriculum of uh, or the science or mathematics has been dropping, um, as he mentioned, actually. And then uh, I wanted to uh, uh, give an example, okay. In this room, for example, you are all students. Maybe one of you doesn't pay attention to me. Maybe one is paying attention. It's just a basic, you know, no matter how, the, uh, how many students or the volume of the students in the classroom. If, you, if the student doesn't have, uh, not willing to learn, he won't learn, right? It's, it's, it's not all about the budget. It's not all about the teacher. It should start from itself. I go to close, I, I go to school, either I go or no, that's my choice. Did you uh, get my point? Uh, and, and then, in, in these um, issues, everything should be, can have a conversation. This can be talked about internally, in, only in the school. This can be addressed to the principal, to the vice principal. There are staff there. The teacher can, can escalate their issues. And from there, they can put it to the board. That's how it goes, simply as that. Why, why do we have to make things difficult, right? Thank you. Uh, Maria, did you want to come back in? Okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. Gentlemen. Interesting. Uh, is there anyone first time that would like to come up to the microphone, please? State your name. We'll move on to the next question. That way we can uh, have our audience. Hello, my name is Nagubai, one of the Gitwick Council uh, representatives. I'm, I'm glad to be here, and uh, it was very interesting to get everyone's um, point of view. One point I have is that when it comes to um, upgrading, majority of the participants as a trustee, you have been in this uh, platform before. And uh, you have noticed all of the gaps, all of the weaknesses. So if you could evaluate the uh, deficits and the budget that was already been there, that seems that there is one point that I need to address is that support of comment I wanted to give is that gap of communication between the board members and the trustee is the major and uh, uh, big uh, part of the strategy that needs to be uh, addressed. Because if you are not really uh, coordinating and working together, you will not know where is the deficit and how you can strategize the policies, the programs, where are those gaps are there and how we can work together in order to achieve or come up with a solution. 
because all I hear I'm hearing are the factors, are the causes, are causing these problems. But the solution, which it needed to be implemented, needed to be addressed, it hasn't been done yet. Or maybe it had been done to a level that is not satisfactory. So I believe, as from my point of view, that when I uh, notice as a young a boy who is looking for some solution when the curriculum is not matching to the needs of daily uh, trade work or any kind of university uh, level, that needs to be seen that if that curriculum is outdated, the trustee group, when we are using the word of trustee, it means we are putting all our trust on you to take care of the solution of the educational system so that needs to come and be addressed from the mi uh, micro level to mezzo and then to macro level. That means government, public, and any area. And if that is something we need to address, that needs to be addressed in a way that talking and uh, uh, rather than uh, you know, bringing all types of research, whatever we have in our own plate, just to study that and see where are those points that need to be uh, fixed. Do you, excuse me, do you have a specific question and, and are you posing it? Thank you. Is that how much implementation has it been done? And in an order to maintain it, where are those maintenance has been done before? In order to bring up more kind of uh, progressive uh, attitude towards the newcomers who are coming and helping you out to cover the gaps. And this question is going for those individuals who have been in the board before. And for those who are trying to bring that or fulfill the gaps, how are you going to do that? And so for one point, uh, you mentioned about the children that whether they are listening, that their solution is just they come for one reason, they have to study. It's not as simple as it is, especially when the environment is changing, the attitude, the mentality, and the uh, health-related issue of the child is changing. So we cannot judge the child and stereotype the child based on their uh, interest that today he or she feels that she wants to study and tomorrow she might not choose to study. No. So you're asking that question to the current incumbents, the current trustees with our board? Yes. Okay, so would someone like to begin? Gail? I'll try. Um, I'm not 100% uh, sure what you're I think I'm not 100% clear on the question, but I think I have the gist of it, so I'm going to give it a try. Um, I've been a trustee for a very long time, and I don't think uh, during uh, my years anyway that I have ever experienced a trustee who didn't want to see more resources uh, for our board and for our classrooms. It's not easy to get them. Let's, uh, let's put this in perspective. Uh, the people of Ontario have elected a government uh, where we have a Minister of Education who uh, enjoyed uh, private school education his entire life, didn't go to public school. His legislative assistant homeschools uh, his children, so hasn't experienced public education and what goes on in our classrooms. Um, in all of my years, uh, since we've been using the provincial funding formulas, I have made sure that not one year does a budget go in without an accompanying 
letter of advocacy on behalf of our community, stressing the shortfalls of the funding formulas. And of course, the Education Act has stripped trustees of uh, any ability uh, to make really effective decisions with regard to our money. The province dictates, and you just fill in the numbers. Um, and uh, I, I, I believe in what my buttons say. I've been wearing them and displaying them for a very long time. No cuts to education will I tolerate. I don't think any, any trustee would. Um, but the problem is that the funding formulas are not realistic. They're not sufficient to cover even basic needs uh, of our school system, like our capital improvements, let alone our special education programs. Thank we you, Gail. We don't have enough money for transportation. Thank you. I have a speaker's list, so I have Kathy uh, next, and then I have Ron to follow. Kathy? I don't have a mic. Okay. Lisa's coming. down to is the limitations we have as trustees um, and one thing one thing I do have to say is the candidate that said that some kids want to learn some kids don't I'm rejecting that all kids want to learn some kids are unable to learn and we have to that is our job to find out why so all kids want to learn and for that kind of comment, that really hurts me. The other thing is, is money is the issue. Money is the issue. Our board, uh, throughout the, the province, we're in trouble because we don't have the staff. We're talking about smaller classrooms. Tell me where you're going to get the staff for those smaller classrooms. We don't have our support staff. When you have all those people, all the kids in a classroom, 28 kids, 11 IEPs, do you know the different behaviors that you're dealing with, the, the, the uns, unsafe environment for the kids, but for our staff? So there's a lot more than just an answer of let's make classrooms smaller. That's not the issue right now. We are in a real situation where we don't have enough staff. And our kids are going to, one, gaps get bigger, and two, our kids are going to struggle. So my focus, obviously, is students, but my focus is our staff. We need more. We need money. We have staff that do not, or don't have a living wage. They work for the board and have to have another job to, make the, to, to uh, survive. Let's all get together, have a government that cares about our staff, and let's back our staff. Thank, Thank you. you. Ron? Thank you. Uh, so to put it in context, uh, the question about us committing uh, resources to these issues. I'll give an example. Um, and it goes back to the issue that uh, Mario brought up. Greater Essex County District School Board has a $500 million budget. In that budget last year, we committed $8 million that were uncommitted dollars for spec ed. That is not enough unfunded. That was unfunded. That we had to find from somewhere else because our board is committed to spec ed. 
$8 million is not enough. However, it shows our demonstrated commitment to it. But let's be, let's be totally honest. We are dealing with a province that provides us our funding. A province that announced they had a $2 billion um, surplus suddenly after an election. That was built on the backs of unspent autism money, cuts to education, and I'm not even gonna talk about healthcare because it's not an issue tonight. But that's the reality. And we have a Minister of Education that doesn't have a clue about public education. And that's a fact. That's just not talk. It's not rhetoric. It's a fact. This is a man who is publicly negotiating, making comments about how much it's going to cost to fund a small raise for our EAs. He's equating teachers' salaries to EAs. He doesn't have a clue. Our EAs need to be supported and resourced so when they're in the classes, they feel safe, they have the proper equipment, and they can do their job in a, a setting that they feel safe. That's what we try to do. And to jump on what Trustee Hatfield said, every single year since I've been a trustee, we've asked the government for, for more money. The GSN, which is the amount of money that we get for each student, has not changed in almost eight years. Tell me that works, in a, particularly when we're facing 7% inflation. The problem rests with the pro provincial government. Uh, Linda, did you want to state? Oh, thank you for the question. Uh, as for the trustees' responsibility, actually, I think uh, we should uphold the quality education, no matter if the ministry, administration like it or not. That's what I have been doing for the past four years. I, I feel a lot of pressure. I fight a lot. I, I believe that they don't like me because I always say no. And uh, like the, uh, you know, the messy, uh, the timetable change, I strongly say no. And uh, I was penalized, to be honest. I, I may not say what penalization I got. I got penalized for half a year. And, uh, and uh, as for the, uh, the back to school plan, they made the plan one week for, whole, for only one course. I said, I said it's terrible. You stop it and learn from the TDSB. They, they are not good. They are two courses a week. It's much better than one course. And they said uh, it's operational decision. I have no right to get involved in that. I said even it's operational, as a trustee, I have the responsibility to to, to guarantee the quality education. I have the responsibility to hire the person who can make the right operational uh, de uh, decision. And you know what happened? They called me and said, I'm going to put you to court. Oh, I, I feel terrible at that time. I said, go ahead, I did nothing wrong. And uh, together with the last penalty, I will make it public. So, you know, it's not very easy as a trustee to really uphold the quality education. And sometimes uh, we are not welcomed to get involved. And, uh, uh, and if uh, uh, parents come to us uh, regarding some bully issue, they said, oh, it's privacy. Uh, we cannot talk to you. So that's the situation. Sometimes trustee did their best to try to protect the education, but uh, Sometimes we have to struggle. Thank, Thank you. you. I believe Julia is next on the speaker's list. 
Before I begin, I was going to ask for actually a clarification of the question, because I wasn't sure the actual question. There was something that you said about um, a gap of communication to parents, and I didn't quite get the whole thing. I wonder if the questioner could restate the actual question, because please, please I think we've gone on a tangent. Okay. Okay, I think I, I understand it. So in between the communication gap between the trustees and the parents who are engaged, and I think you mentioned GECPIC, and would that, would that be school councils and everybody, all parents? Right, okay, right. Uh, I think I understand it, so I'll just, I'll, I'll try to answer as much as I can. I think that the, um, <clears throat> there's been a gap in communication. <laughs> There has been, a, a, I think, a, um, an underperformance. That's what I'll put it kindly as. In, um, when we have a strategic priority that says engaged communities, that means there's a respectful listening and discussion and understanding of what our communities want and that they come to us and are engaged. And in law, we're obligated to bring concerns of public education supporters, not just parent voice, public education supporters, to the notice of our, to the board, to all of our colleagues. Um, the, the things that you were talking about, I don't know if you were talking about just the last couple, few years. I honestly think that saying anything about the last few years has to be in the context that there was nothing normal about anything. It had so much inequity. There were kids at home that were not supervised without devices trying to learn online. It was just awful. So um, we tried our best, but we, we had a saying, and it really felt like it. we were building the plane while we were flying it. Nobody was in any better condition across the province. Um, and it's an, you know, economies of scale. We can't quote TDSB. We're not TDSB. You know, we have a very diverse uh, population, like TDSB, but we're not them. So you have to look at Greater Essex. So I always think, how would you like to pay? Um, if we don't pay um, in the right ways and have the funds in order to resource, in order to make sure the communication is there, make sure the resources are in the right place, etc. then we're going to pay in another way, and that's staff burnout, that's parents that are disengaged, that's kids that are not achieving what they should be, and, and having mental health, and etc. But the Thank implementation you. is in the operational plan. That's Thank how you. We we're going to move on to Sarah. Thank you. And then after Sarah's comment, speaker at the microphone, and we'll move on. Um, thank you, and thank you for the question. I think if I understood your question correctly, it was around communication between parents and the board, maybe at large. Um, I'm a parent. I'm a parent in the system, so I understand that frustration. And when COVID hit, I wasn't looking at our board for help with my with my daughter. I was looking on social media. I was looking to other people. And out of that kind of experience and speaking with other parents, I realized there's a huge gap between what's happening at the board level as a trustee and as a parent, because I'm getting, I'm on both sides of it, and it, it wasn't clear to me. And so I really do appreciate 
appreciate your point. Um, from there, I, I put forward a motion and with the support of our colleagues, we created a communication strategy committee so that we could better understand the needs of our parent and we did have some of the GECPIC members there. Um, and from there, we actually hired a communications officer. And I like to think that our, that our communications with the broader community is better, but we're, but it, it takes improvement. It's a, it's a trust um, exercise. And so I think that when it comes to the decisions that happen at the board level, we're not great at communicating those down to the community because I do think that there has been um, good work that is happening, that there's programs that are happening, but we also don't have a dialogue. And so to your point, I think that um, that's an area of, uh, that we can always improve on, um, but I, that started with hiring that communications officer, that started with revamping our website, that started with all those things. And so I hope that now that that has happened, we can kind of build off of that um, kind of foundation um, moving forward. Thank you. First time speaker, please state your name. Right. And I just want to elaborate on what Elton had asked uh, to the members from his board about the policy that was made uh, in 2021 with regards to cutting parents out of some of these conversations. I would like an answer from everybody if they could, whether they agree or disagree with this policy. Um, as a parent uh, of a teenage daughter who we know teenage years are not what they used to be, uh, mental health crisis is huge. I think cutting out parents from any aspect of our kids' life is a tragedy and it is morally Ever have like it's just it's unbelievable that this is even allowed. I am all for whatever my daughter wants to do in her life, straight, gay, whatever. I don't care. I want a healthy child. We want a healthy community for our children, and we'd like everybody in this audience, in this panel, to understand that's where we're coming from. Doesn't matter what you, where you, you know, your choice in life or whatever you have to follow. It's important that we as parents are involved in our children's lives at every aspect of their life. So I'd like an answer from everybody in every ward as to whether they agree with parents being cut out at anybody's child's life, uh, according to the policy that was changed last year. Okay, so you're addressing this to everyone, and you would just like an agree or a disagree with the policy. So it is, uh, I believe we only have 20 uh, minutes left. Uh, do we have an, another first-time speaker who wants to come up to the... We have a first-time speaker in Brianne. We also have a first-time speaker. So we want to get to all these questions. So we are going to come down. So um, as you all know, you may not know, this uh, event is being um, recorded by Rose City Politics. And so it will be available for the community at large to listen to tomorrow evening at 8.30. It will be on rosecitypolitics.com. .ca. And so when this has come up in the past, and we have asked all of our candidates to actually state an agree or a disagree with the policy, you may not know exactly the wording, uh, exactly, but I believe our two, our two questioners here, the first one and the lady that just questioned as well, I think you kind of get the gist of it. But again, we don't want to spend too much time belaboring this. Uh, we're just going to do an agree or disagree with the board's policy. Yes? Well, this lady has already asked a question for the entire group. Yeah, we'll, we'll go and do that because we are going to make sure I want everybody to understand that this is a recorded statement. All right, let's begin. We're looking for an agree or a disagree with the current board's policy on allowing students to not and schools to not confer or discuss a child's request 
for either a gender change or a name change with the parents. The parents are excluded according to this policy. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I'm new uh, uh, candidate, as you can see. Um, yes, uh, uh, when I'm knocking doors, uh, uh, similar questions are asked. And uh, as I was uh, 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 thinking about it, you know, I was, uh, I was asking myself that, you see, if transcripts, if transcripts, grades, marks, the uh, response on organization skill, etc., can be shared with the parents, why these things cannot be shared with the parents? So we're asking you to either agree or disagree with the policy. I disagree with the policy. Okay, thank, thank you. you. We'll move on to Maria. I would have to hear from the board, first of all, why did they take the position that they had? I, I don't think that this is a, a simple uh, thing to answer. As uh, a family lawyer, a lot of the work that I do involves child protection in a courtroom where children are the subject of abuse, neglect, and uh, atrocious things that we would never believe would happen within the context of the home. That having been said, sticking our heads in the sand and pretending that the problem doesn't exist is not the answer. This is a new issue. It needs to be addressed. We have to determine as a community how we're going to address it. And I simply think taking the parents out of the equation at this juncture based on the information that I have is not the wisest of choices. So you're choosing to disagree? Correct. Thank you. Kim? I'm actually choosing to abstain because without having the policy in front of me, without having the time to see what it says, and as a trustee, I was always open to hearing everyone's thoughts on it because sometimes I might have an opinion that I have not considered someone else's that then kind of goes, oh. And honestly, without seeing the policy and everything that's in it, I can't say yes or no. Thank because you. Because I honestly thank don't you. know. Uh, thank you for the question. I, too, have never seen or even heard of this policy until uh, today. I wouldn't be able to give a yes or no answer to that question without actually seeing it. But what I will say is to the asker of the question, you said that you support your child. And while that's amazing, you have to be kind of you have to acknowledge the fact that a lot of people don't have positive support systems in their households. And I see this this motion as it was most likely, you know, uh, it, going in the direction of protecting our students in an extent that would make them feel comfortable and supported in their school environments, even when they may not be able to find that in their home environment. Um, so again, I'd have to see the policy, but I think we have to be cognizant of everybody's unique situations. Thank you. You're choosing to abstain. Yes. Thank you. Linda? Hi. Uh, I will clearly uh, oppose that. I, I don't agree with that. I think uh, a school is a place to, <coughs> to learn knowledge. <coughs> it's not a place to, to wash your head, to impose the <coughs> sorry, uh, politics and uh, ideology. I think parents has their right to, to choose how to educate their children. And they send their children to the school for knowledge, not for you know ideologies or uh, politics. And in the future, and uh, we need uh, matured uh, logic uh, constituents to to vote for the 
right, you know, right party, right person to lead us. Not, uh, we don't need the kids to be, you know, uh, brainwashed and then to make this world kind of difficult. Thank you, Thank Linda. You. you are choosing to uh, disagree. Disagree. Thank, Thank you. you, Sarah. Sure, I, I know I had a chance to answer it, so I'll just yes. say I strongly Thank agree you. with the policy, but what I will also elaborate on is that um, this policy was designed not to keep parents out, but to protect uh, the safety and the dignity of students. Um, I think, as I mentioned, that the example that was brought forward was an, uh, that, that ha you know, is in my mind around this situation was a student that didn't feel safe going to their family. And what happens when the, their, their school is their safe place and they don't want to um, let their parents know? I think that this policy protects students um, and gives them a sense of um, safety within their classrooms. And um, hearing from other educators, um, I know that there is support for this um, in their classrooms so that they can maintain that sense of safety in the classroom. So Thank I strongly you, Sarah. support it. Okay. Hello. I think I gave you an example already at one time how it is really happening around uh, the North America and in some other uh, places. In my opinion, parent has the right. We must allow the parents to pass their traditions on to their ch uh, children. Some of the parents would know when I talk about this that they have seen these kind of assignments that I mentioned earlier brought home or the projects that the students have done at school. Teachers work hard to cover those, the curricula. It is not the fault of the teachers, but it is the fault of the uh, curriculum development. In other words, what I'm just simply saying is that the child has a right, as Sarah says, and she's very good, young people, they have the right, but it is the parent's right that must also be equally important. The parent must be involved at each and every stage of the child until the child becomes an adult. I strongly reject this kind of um, policies that have already been passed by the school board. The teachers must be allowed to, must not be allowed to indoctrinate children. Thank you. We'll move on to Christy. Thank you. I just want to say that two things. I don't believe in brainwashing, and I also don't believe in excluding the parents. It's quite the op opposite. It's a partnership when you send your child to school, as far as I'm concerned. And nothing works without the involvement of the parent, the child, the administrators. Or shall I say, it works best when those three are involved. When it comes to safety of a child, I firmly believe that this is a good policy that's been passed. When you talk about preserving the life of someone or saving the life of someone, and I, it's been my experience that children will become forthright when they feel comfortable. And so how do you pass a policy where you're excluding some and not including others? We could look at it both ways. And so for these reasons, I agree with the policy. Thank you. We'll move on. It's a very complex issue. And of course, parents have the rights. However, you must look at the students, the parents that are here tonight, they care about changing policies. They care about their students. But it must be addressed because if a student doesn't feel comfortable, I mean, there has to be a dialogue. It, it's not something you can just shut the door on to the parents. But I do believe that the students do have the right. Thank you. Claudette? 
I strongly disagree with the policy. The parents, the child belongs to the parent. Of course, if uh, there's a problem at home, we have to look to other resources for help, but when said and done, it's the child belongs to the parent. Thank you. Genevieve? I disagree. Um, I think the child can have uh, the right in, I mean, his um, own uh, to express his, uh, he, he, uh, his or her personal, um, uh, what do you call this, uh, characteristics or personality in the right age. Um, but uh, there, there should be some certain age and there should be some compromise in that. So, yeah, I disagree. Thank you, Gail. Thank you. So to clarify, this policy does not give blanket or 100% exclusion of knowledge to parents or sharing information with parents. This is strictly when there's a situation that a child is requesting that they feel uh, they would prefer that the school not um, have a conversation with parents. It's at their request for personal safety. And we have a, a legal and ethical obligation to make sure that students are in safe and supportive classrooms. We have an obligation to make sure that these students are protected. And if they feel that they're in an unsafe situation, we have an obligation to respect that. So I, somehow I think it's been interpreted that this policy is now excluding parents 100% out of this picture. And that's not what this policy is doing. It's providing some protection at the student's request. And, and I think the other thing that's important to remember is that it's at that point in time that that student may feel that they require that kind of protection or consideration. But that may change over time as well where doors may open, where relationships with family members uh, improves or not. But it, it's at a point in time that a child is, is requesting that. Thank so, you. So uh, we'll go on, Anne-Marie. Thank you for the clarification. Okay. Anne-Marie. So, yeah, it's uh, based on what the, um, the, uh, the young man mentioned in terms of what he identifies as the policy. I've not heard of the policy. I've not seen it. But just based on the, the small fact that you mentioned, I disagree with what you state. I believe that uh, kids are stronger when parents are involved in their care. I do work within a system that indicates that 12 years, kids who are 12 years and older can choose to include parents in their care or not. And I find that it works best when families are included. Of course, if there are safety concerns, then there's some level of ethical morality, and I'm bound by um, my own uh, ethics and college standards that I must report um, and violate some policies in terms of confidentiality to ensure that students and individuals receive care when there is uh, safety concerns. Thank you. Connie? I don't believe it's ever wise to disregard parents or, or keep them in the dark about anything. Oh, but this is not an agree or disagree to me. This is a, in all instances, we should look to broker a third party to get this issue dealt with and help the child and, and for the safety of the parents and the child. Thank you. 
Julia? Very difficult questions, Julie Burgess. Um, this is like the wisdom of Solomon. You're not going to get a correct answer. Um, it's sad, but not all homes are safe. Not all parents are um, in, in a position to really support their kid to be themselves. Each kid, uh, each child is unique in the world and they have a right to live and safely under the age of majority and beyond that. When this policy came in, this was to protect those kids who are not often in a safe and loving home that can be abusive once they get home in the place of sanctuary a school not indoctrination you can't induce this kind of thing if it's, there's a desire there um, it's recognizing the child supporting the child with with proper professional support um, the parent will the parents will get to know that they will get to know that but there's a there's a place for uh, respecting the confidentiality of a growing um, vulnerable kid who feels unsafe just like we have many many children in care and um, they're not in their parents home their biological parents home they're in they're in care we we honor that and respect the parents at the same time so thank you. very difficult in individual case by case thank you uh, julia we'll thank move you. to david Thank you, Ron. So earlier tonight, I, earlier tonight, I talked about the fact that I'm a champion for the marginalized. There's no doubt that a child that is coming forward and making disclosure like this in the classroom to a teacher um, comes from a marginalized segment of society. And I believe that it's, this policy was developed specifically to provide safe space, a safe learning environment for the students and I support the policy because of that. Now, I wanna make it perfectly clear that this is not something that we are teaching students. This is something that a student makes a disclosure about. And do we really wanna put teachers in a position where they're outing children that may face violence in their home? And for that reason, I support the policy. Thank you, Jerry. Um, I neither support nor um, uh, disagree with the policy. It, it is very complex. I'm not sure why the CAS would not be involved if there's not safety in the, in the home. Um, it, 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 it's, it's not, I don't think it's a decision that the board should make on its own. Thank you. Nancy? Yeah. Okay. It makes me feel uncomfortable that this is, it, it feels like we're lying or we're keeping something from parents. And yes, I understand everything that everyone has said, but this sets a precedent that, well, what else are we going to hold back from parents or whatever? I'm just really uncomfortable with, with the policy as it sits, but then I haven't read it. So I'm going to say I disagree, but perhaps more conversation is required. Yeah, definitely a very complicated question. Um, the one thing I will agree with the, uh, uh, the question is, yeah, the importance of parents or families in, in every child's development. I think that's something everyone agrees with. Um, as well, there's a lot of buzzwords. Students are not political pawns and shouldn't be used from anywhere in the political spectrum for that. They're students for an education uh, to build their future. But the question itself was about the board's policy. And 
since I wasn't part of that discussion or haven't seen the ins and out of, outs of it, I haven't seen the examples that some of the trustees mentioned about safety issues and specific examples of why that policy was made in the way it was. So I'm not trying to avoid the question, I just can't give it a yes or no answer on the board policy itself since I don't have all that information. But I do agree with you with the, the, the family and the parents and how important they are in the development of all children. But one thing I know is what I don't know, so I, so I just have to admit that. Thank you. Thank you. Kathy? Thank you. So, um, as Gail had said, students request not to not to share. It's their their right at that time not to share. I run into this quite a bit with the job that I do on a daily basis. Um, I don't I don't believe that we should exclude parents, but I do believe that we need to have a safe place for kids to come. And if that safe place is to tell that teacher on a Monday what is happening, and we might not tell parents on a Monday, but our goal is to work to repair whatever is going on in the family and involve parents. That's the way I do it, and that's the way I think it should be done. Thank you. We have a first-time speaker at the microphone. Please state your name. Oh, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, you've bypassed Brianne. Brianne was there. And, yeah. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Brianne Irish and I live in Ward 4. Um, half of you know me, half of you might not, but um, what I wanted to quickly do, because I don't think we've done this, is to really quickly identify who you are, what wards you represent, as well as all of the constituents that are within the area. So the quickest way to do this is if you live or represent wards 1, 2, and 9, would you mind just raising your hand? Let your... Oh, oh you're asking the audience? Audience. Okay. Okay, wards three, okay. four, and ten. Okay. Wards five, six, and seven. Hands up high. <laughs> because we're proud of where we where we, where we reside. Leamington and Peely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wards five, six, seven, and eight. Perfect. One and one. Um, Lakeshore and Tecumseh. Kingsville and Essex, and Amherst and LaSalle. Okay, perfect. Now that we are all very um, introduced, um, what I wanted to say is that you represent seven elect electoral districts. Six and a half years ago, the Greater Essex County District School Board had to make very difficult reviews and decisions uh, due to the li Liberal government's pupil accommodation reviews, whereby it was mandated that in order for the board to receive much needed funding, Boards needed to consolidate two schools, they needed to close a school, and then change geographic boundaries in order to qualify for this funding of receiving a potentially new school or an upgraded bill. Almost every single war, one of your wards was affected by these reviews and the decisions which had led to permanent changes of your communities and constituents' attitudes towards public education. In Ward 4, our trustees, um, over all wards, advocated for our ward, um, our, our ward 3, 4, and 10 schools. And strongly declined the review, which has successfully resulted in our schools thriving and are now bursting at the seams. <laughs> Queen Victoria and Prince Edward have multiple portables. These were two schools that were subject to closure due to a declining enrollment. 
these two schools would have been amalgamated if the trustees would have decided in favor of consolidating both of those schools. It would have been an atrocity to see how many portables would have been present at that newly built school. Hugh Beaton was also part of that public, uh, uh, pupil accommodation review, and our numbers continue to thrive and beat all of the forecasted projected numbers as well. In my opinion, and in the opinion of statistics, these reviews were not appropriately done in all communities just because the funding was made available. As Ward 4 specifically continues to lobby the board, every Tuesday for the last six and a half years, the Hugh Beaton community has been physically present at the board meetings or virtually during the pandemic. We continue to advocate not just for Ward 4 schools in Hugh Beaton in specific, but for parents to be involved in their in public education, to be aware of the changes that you are making and influencing every single week in all of your meetings and sessions. We want to be a constant voice for our children and our families, and we are so thankful that each of you self-nominated to be a part of this journey with our families, whether elected or not elected, your voices we, we expect will continue to be advocates for your communities because collectively, this is what we need to do for Windsor-Essex to become and continue to be a thriving community for the public education sector. My question is specifically for Ward 4 in the essence of time. How will you continue to advocate for your Ward 4 communities um, for not only securing from closure, uh, but for much needed overdue investment in capital projects that we know the board's budget is, is large. However, it has to be allocated appropriately. Knowing that Ward 4 has not seen significant capital um, investment, how will you continue to So we'll start with Sarah, or we'll move down from Sarah to Sushil, to Christy, to Margaret. Okay. Thank you, and thank you for the question, Brianne. I don't see, oh, there you are. Um, and thank you for your continued advocacy. Um, I think the first step in that, um, to answer your question, the first step is that knowing the needs and being in communication and having that dialogue. Um, uh, my daughter goes to school at the new James L. Dunn School. It's technically not in Ward 4, um, but she was at Lowe previously, so I understand the woes of an old school in need of repair. Um, and so I think to answer your question, it's, it's knowing the needs. I think the second question is, or sorry, the second response to, um, to your question is around um, putting pressure on our administration to be able to advocate internally. Um, trustees have a responsibility over budgetary resources. That's part of our one of our provincially mandated roles, um, and I take that that responsibility very seriously. And so it's about um, asking the right questions, um, advocating for the priority funding. Um, and to your point, the only one thing I actually two things I wanted to clarify. Actually, uh, QV doesn't have any portables. However, they have had some investment. But Walkerville has actually had significant investment in the last year um, as the secondary school in Ward Four, um, in addition to Kennedy as well, even though it's in Ward Three. Um, but there's always more that can be done, um, and I think I commend our staff um, who really do stretch the dollars. Um, just to summarize all of that, I think the trustee's role is to know what the needs are of the community, to be in dialogue, and then to uh, speak to administration and advocate uh, amongst their colleagues to be able to prioritize that when it comes time to budget. Thank you. I, 
think this is an important question, and it's an important area also of the city. All areas are important, but this is the one that I have heard has been neglected in some ways or another. My theory has always been to do your homework, research, and then have some kind of a dialogue between the people who are really concerned with there. And I would say just follow up what you are doing it, and it will work out slowly, but it will need some action. Thank you. Communication is always key. I feel as though when we're building relationships with our stakeholders that it's very important to bring those issues to the table ongoing. I can admire the fact that you've attended, all of you have attended the trustee meetings and so you are in the know of where the budget is being spent and how there is a surplus and where there is a surplus. And so I believe maintaining communication ongoing with our parents so that we know what the issues are is definitely a priority. Thank you. I got involved in this election because I was a teacher at Forrester Secondary School and it was a fantastic school. And when it came time that it was starting to overgrow, they decided after a lot of, um, they held meetings and there was lots of input and the man that was in charge, after they decided to send us to uh, the old century and recall us Westview Freedom Academy, he jumped ship and went to the Catholic board. But uh, it was very disappointing because I thought our board was strong enough because how can they build Tecumseh Vista out there and not get involved with Marlboro and Forrester? It was very important and it was quite sad that they just threw us under the bus like that. So I think it's very important for the board to get involved and to do things that are expensive but must be done. Thank you. Supplement. Just wanted to thank you for your time again and for your advocacy for our community. Thank you, our second, our first time speaker, state your name, please. Hello, my name is Tina, and I just want to thank everybody for, um, for this effort that you're trying to do to work with the board. Okay. Uh, so my question basically is, over the last few years, we've had many issues in the schools. Uh, this past year, uh, there were issues of uh, flag burning, which was the uh, LGBTQ plus burning in more than one school in our system. If we are going to be inclusive and we are going to be have safe schools for all students, what are some things, and this is for Ward 1, 2, and 9, what are some things that you're going to do personally to help make the schools more inclusive? And I don't want, we're going to like help the students be successful. I want to know exactly what you're going to do because I work for the students. Thank you. Okay, we will start with here at the L, okay. This is wards one, two, and nine. Thank you for the question. Um, in reference to the specific event you're talking about, I remember when that did happen, it was towards the end of the school year and our secondary school communities were outraged. Uh, part of our strategic priorities as a board was creating, conf creating confident learners and student well-being and success. And neither of those two things can happen if we don't support our learners in our school environment. Now you ask for fundamental and concrete steps. 
For months now, the board has been talking about releasing a student input survey. Um, and I know it was tailored towards the demographics of our students, but it brought with it conversation about the issues in our school communities that we don't talk about. And homophobia is a big one. Bullying is a big one. Mental health awareness is a big one. And these are things, and I'm not saying that the Board of Trustees has historically ignored it, but to some extent, there's been this reluctance to talk about it for some reason in, in the public, in, in our board meetings, in our conversations. When we talk about supporting our learners, it's addressing that problem head on, acknowledging it's a real thing, sitting down with our students and our staff and our parents and our community members and our partners to, to come together and say, how far do these issues go? And then we look at what are these, like pinpoint them. How deep is homophobia ingrained in our school system? And then we do some consulting with, with our surrounding school boards. Um, we get a better picture of where our students stand. Uh, and then from there, it's all about really providing the resources and knowledge to our students to be able to help them overcome their own inter internalized hatred of other groups for some reason. Uh, and we do that uh, by, by making sure that our students feel represented by hosting informational sessions for our students, by hosting training for our students. Uh, there's a lot of staff and professional development training that occurs in, in that realm, uh, but there's none for students for some reason. Uh, it, it's almost kind of like talking, it's almost like, oh, it doesn't exist among students, but it's actually worse among students. We need to teach students how to, uh, how to identify it, how to address it, how to report it. There needs to be a system in place, and there isn't one. Uh, I remember when these flag burnings happened at multiple sites across our board, uh, it took a while before administrators even found out who the students were, the perpetrators, and the reason. And really, there wasn't a reason. They saw it as laughs and gags. These are senior level students who have such a strong hatred of people a part of the LGBTQ plus community because they, for some reason, uh, they let their hatred get the better part of them. And it's our responsibility, if we want to achieve our strategic priorities, to sit down with our students and teach them to be role models, leaders, and respect and love one another. So that's my answer. Uh, just a reminder, time we are keeping to two minutes. Thank you. Okay. Um, big question. Not a lot of time to think on it. But I would say, as Malik's been speaking, I would agree with a lot of that. I really believe that a lot of the teaching begins with our students and their parents. Because if we don't deal with those fears and those attitudes, oftentimes they're coming from home and they don't know any better because they've never been taught any better. And so, yeah, we can educate all the teachers multiple times, but their being educated doesn't deal with the problem of educating our students and their parents and their families to know better. Because when we know better, most people will do better. But sometimes it's a lack of learning. Sometimes it's just straight out hate. And there's not a whole lot you're going to be able to do to dissipate that, except hopefully if they learn enough that they don't have to be afraid of people, they can just choose to care about people, be kind, and we don't have to get in each other's way. We don't have to hate people for things we don't even understand about 
to people. So I think it does really start with education at a young age. And at the same time, that's when a lot of people say, I don't want my children being educated about such things. So it's a, it's a difficult dilemma. Thank you. Maria? I would agree with uh, my lady to the left in the sense that I really haven't had a chance to address this in my mind. I think that this is a very complex issue and I think that it's one that doesn't simply uh, lend itself to a quick answer because we come from a diverse community. We come, we, we know that we have people uh, from all over the world that live in the Windsor-Essex County area and the question is how do we strike a balance? How do we strike a balance between ensuring that everybody receives respect um, and that's going to be the principal issue and I think that that's going to take a lot of conversation that's going to take a lot of dialogue and um, I think that when it comes to the point that you're burning flags the question it, that has to be quite asked is why why and, and like my friend said it was it motivated by hatred um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what incidents led to that. So I can't really say what happened. I, I, I'm going to refer to the student if he says that it's hate motivated, and that's unfortunate. But I think that this is an issue that really needs to be researched as to how to properly deal with it. If anything, uh, I mean, I think last week um, with the issue out in Oakville. I think we have to be very, very careful. Yes, we do have to respect people regardless of whatever their background is, and, but we also have to have a balance and ensure that we just don't get onto the bandwagon and say, oh no, whatever happens is absolutely okay because it's not. And that may not be a very popular view. That's my view. Thank you. Hazel? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, uh, burning flag, of course, is not um, acceptable. Uh, there is no place uh, for bias or hatred, uh, so we should not, uh, we cannot uh, accept this. Uh, we have to celebrate diversity. Canada is a uh, wonderful uh, country, uh, and uh, say, uh, we we celebrate diversity. For example, from our community, like International Mother Language Festival, and there are many other ways. Uh, and uh, also, we have to. Uh, we have to see how uh, a good thing is implemented. Before it is implemented, there has to be consultation with the community. Uh, so, uh, and uh, and other trustee, other school boards, did they uh, did they have the similar uh, uh, flag raising uh, 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 policy? Uh, was it only uh, was it only GCDSB that uh, did it? Uh, if so, why? Uh, and why there was not enough public consultation. Uh, as I am knocking the door, I'm telling you, a lot of doors are dissatisfied with this flag-raising thing. However, I'm not supporting flag-burning. This is not acceptable. Hate and bias has no place in Canada. Thank you. Thank you. Linda? Linda will be the last speaker to this issue, and we'll move on to our final question. Sir, do you still have your question? I'll let Linda answer. Uh, thank you for the question. Uh, I think uh, if something happened, we cannot simply judge is correct or not. We have to dig out what's the problem <coughs> underlying. And uh, 
I, I feel that our system, our society is doing something not appropriate. They actually create hate between groups. They actually, you know, uh, create the gaps and the disagreement between groups, not to respect each other. So when we talk about uh, po political correctness, everything is correct this way, and this way is wrong. So I agree with uh, the candidate's opinion. How to balance that? We both have to, to think from the other side, respect each other, not anti-discrimination. I heard some Christians are discriminated because they say something disagree, and they were, you know, bullied. I don't agree anything bullied, uh, either to the LGBTQ or to the Christian. I think as a society, we have to, to find a way to systematically uh, build up our cooperation, friendship, respect to each other, not separate groups. And I feel the balance is very, very important. Thank you. Thank you. We have a supplemental from Tina. I just wanted to state that we live in a secular society and this is a public board. Our public board allows uh, Christians, Muslims, any other religion to have prayer time during school and it allows for those things to happen. So if there are misinterpretations and if there are issues with other groups, it's because People don't understand that in Canada, these are human rights issues. These are things that are in the law. And so for those things to happen within a school, like the burning of a flag, that is against the law. That is a criminal thing. So we need to understand that we all have to get along. Whatever your beliefs are, are your beliefs. But in a secular society and within a school that is public, all beliefs Go. Thank you. We have a first time speaker and to be respectful of the time we have uh, gone over, uh, which is a wonderful thing because it shows how engaged our community is and I'm very thankful for that. So uh, this is going to be our last speaker of the evening and um, please. I'll make a quick announcement. Oh. Organization that I'm with, which is called Stand for Thee, has just filed affidavits and evidence at the Windsor Police Department and a case number given to us for treason against Prime Minister Trudeau. Okay, does this have anything to do with the... Does this have anything to do with education in the public school system, sir? Do you have a question for our candidates?
And I'd like to know how this is handled by all of you, because to me it's completely disgusting. Okay, so this is an interesting question. We are going to keep it in the spirit of, like I stated, a rigorous discourse with only respectful interactions and not necessarily individual, political. But let's go to our incumbents. I'm not sure if this has actually been a policy voted on at the board. I don't know if this has ever been something that is stated. If our current trustees remember this as actually coming up uh, for a vote, for a discussion, we will begin with uh, Ron. Well, thanks for the question. Um, one of the things that uh, the, the board is uh, responsible to um, uphold is the Ontario Human Rights Code. And under the Ontario Human Rights Code, um, religion is uh, protected ground. Um, and therefore, uh, we have to be respectful of that protected ground. Thank you. Safety? If there is this your supplemental, sir, at the microphone? I'm asking him a question. What about safety, Ron? What about the safety of the other children? We, we're talking, we, you're talking religion, right? You're talking about, about the I'm talking about a protected ground under the Human Rights Code. I'm talking about a protected right under the Human Rights Code. I know you don't like the answer, but that's the reality. No, that's not accurate because there is no there is no religion. Listen, are we going to argue or are you going to listen to my answer? Okay. The Ontario Human Rights identifies which religions are in the protected grounds. To my knowledge, there are no religions that carry guns. I'm also not aware of any student using a ceremonial curapin as a weapon in our schools. No, they don't. I spent 30 years as a police officer. They do not have the right to use it as a weapon. If they use it as a weapon, they would be charged with assault. That's the simple truth. It would be assault with a weapon. Okay? That's the reality. It's a, it's a ceremonial. It's ceremonial. And it's part of their religion. And it's protected. No. Sir, you have had so many supplemental um, opportunities at the microphone, and uh, we have allowed it, but it's, uh, we're going to end that. But I do believe uh, Malak wanted to state something, and uh, Chris as well. It's more of a point of information, um, because I remember learning about this when I was in elementary school. It was, uh, it's in actually our grade seven, eight history textbooks. Um, what all our elementary students are taught by the curriculum. It's not a trustee decision. Uh, it's not something trustees oversee. Um, our board values and respects the intersectionalities that make up our board. We value and respect the human rights and charter of freedoms of this country. And we value and respect the different aspects of diversity that come together to make our board. But what I wanted to point out and what my point of information is, is that this was an issue that was dealt by the Supreme Court in 2006. I just Googled it to make sure that I was saying this correctly. The Supreme Court ruled on this decision, not trustees, not MPPs, not MPs, no politicians, judges, people who went to law school and, and studied this. Um, so my point is when you come here and you 
make those kind of vulgar comments about somebody else's religion, uh, I, I think you need to be cautious of, of how you come across and realize. I'm coming across as a safety for the children. Right, but you're, but you're, but, okay, sir, just give me one second. But, 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 you, no. And that's fine, and that's fine. And, I, I, and if you don't want to respect what I have to say, that's fine, but I'm going to hear you out. And what I want to say to you is that what you're saying isn't true because students do not use this as a weapon. The Supreme Court have never said they could use it as a weapon. If they did, like Ron LeClaire just said, who used to be a police officer, they would be charged with assault. So you need to be cautious of what you're saying because it's coming across as racist and it's honestly very offensive to this board. And no, uh, no, no, no. Sir, What's what very offensive name? is you continuing to interrupt me when I'm trying to educate you and teach you what you clearly refuse to learn. Sir, you didn't even state your name when you came to the microphone, so I'm going to just ask you to refrain from speaking again. Otherwise, I will end this uh, evening. We have worked so hard, and even though we want to respect what you have to say, we have worked so hard to bring people together to discuss actual issues in education right now. Chris is going to be our last speaker of the evening. We are not going to have any more interruptions. Thank you, Chris. So I sat here and wondered whether I should actually say something, but just so you know, as a Catholic Christian man who's married to a proud Sikh woman, I know a little bit about the history of Sikhism. Um, and if you know a little bit about the history of the religion, it was created to protect minority religions from other violence and other people trying to not allow, not allow religions to live in peace, okay? And as far as my education through my marriage and family has went, um, I would like an example of a student or anybody using their kirpan as a weapon. And as Ron said, if they did, they would be treated the same as anybody else using a knife or anything. And the majority of Sikh men that carry that are baptized Sikhs, so usually it's later in life. They're not children for predominantly. They have, they have a whole process to go through. So if you learn a little bit about the religion, you'll understand this is not a not an issue other than this might look good on the front of newspapers or something like that. So your Malik was right. It was defined by the charter, their charter rights and freedom said this is part of their religion. This is just as important as their turban. And as three other K's, not that KKK, but three other K's that they find very important to themselves. So um, I can just say that this is a public system. All religions are going to be respected. And I didn't think I would say much, but my wife's will be too. Thank you so much. Uh, is anyone who would like to remain, we will stay here. 10 minutes, Mr. Platt? Or do we have to dodge? We have 10 minutes, and then we will be Please help yourself to a bottle of water. Please help yourself to chocolate bar. Uh, on behalf of Lisa and I, we cannot thank you enough, trustees, for coming out to this evening. It has surpassed our goal. Thank you so much.